Hi there, this is Pastor Aaron of Fairview Cornerstone Baptist Church, and we pray that through the preaching of God's Word that you are encouraged and pointed to Christ, our glorious Savior. If you have any questions or comments, uh, you can find us at www.fairviewcornerstone.com, and uh, please write to us. We'd love to uh, hear any questions or comments. We pray the Lord encourage you through this sermon. Uh, Let us turn to Luke's Gospel and uh, the sixth chapter. And I uh, ask you to stand, please, as we read together from God's Word. Luke chapter 6. And we're going to read the same passage we did last week, but uh, focus on a little different part of it. So we'll just start again at verse 12 and read down to verse 19. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew his brother, James and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. So the grass withers and the flowers fall. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we ask for his help now. Gracious God in heaven, we are amazed, Lord, that as we see seasons change and we experience life and we see death and we see joy and sadness, Lord, we're reminded that all things are sustained by you, Lord, that even By the word of your power, we're told that you uphold the universe. And so, Lord, we we marvel at your power displayed even through your word. And God, we're grateful that you've given us your scriptures through your apostles, through your prophets, Lord, through your Son, that we would be uh, continually changed and convicted and encouraged and built up once again by your word, Lord. And we ask that, that this would happen by your spirit as we gather, Lord, that our hearts would would be refreshed and that our faith would be renewed and strengthened, God, that you would give us uh, just persevering grace for the journey, Lord, uh, that you've called us to as a church and as individuals. And we just ask this now for your namesake and for your glory, Lord, that your church would be established and that you would be building your kingdom here through your word. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. <clears throat> So today we're going to just look at this section where Jesus appoints his apostles. And uh, one of these things that we probably heard since children about Jesus choosing his disciples, and yet uh, hopefully this morning we can just focus in a little bit and, and really think about the implications of what Jesus is doing here and the way in which he does it. When you really, when you really stop and think about 
uh, what he's doing and the way he's going about this, it is amazing in comparison to the ways of man. And so this morning, I'm just going to look at three observations about the choosing of the twelve as Jesus appoints his apostles. Now, last week, we, we just talked and looked at the prayer life of Christ, which is in this context of him, at this point, specifically choosing his twelve, and uh, the role that prayer played in the life of Jesus uh, in a broad sense, but here specifically, the, the place of prayer in Jesus choosing his twelve. And so, the first observation is just that Jesus choosing the twelve flows out of his communion with the Father. That his choosing of the twelve flows out of his communion with the Father. And we talked about this some last week, but I um, want to just look a little further at, at this. Um, in prayer, Jesus is not just going through a ritual. He's not just keeping a law in Israel, but he is first and foremost enjoying the fellowship and communion with his Father in heaven. And, and in prayer, Christ, the God-man, it continually aligns himself to the Father's will, continually abides in his Father, that as he moves about his ministry, it could be said that he is acting in accordance with the Father perfectly. And Jesus would even say that I do nothing of my own accord, but only what the Father shows me, that's what I do. And we see this right here in this very important moment in the life of Jesus Christ, that he is about to appoint the twelve apostles who will establish the church, who will carry on the message of Christ, the doctrine of Christ, and who will represent him uh, when, when he ascends into to heaven. And so this is crucial that Jesus uh, does this rightly. If, if, if he messes up at this point, not that he can mess up, but we, we understand the gravity of, of, of this selection. Uh, these men are, even as we read this morning, pictured as the foundation of that great city, the twelve apostles. And you know that in construction, if the foundation is not built well, is not selected carefully, and you take in consideration all of the elements in which you live, uh, you know, a foundation uh, here is going to look different than one way up north where they have permafrost, and you have to carefully choose what you're going to build on. And so we see Jesus spending the entire night in prayer, aligning himself uh, with his Father, hearing from his Father, as to whom he should select as apostles. Flip over just a little bit, and we, we referenced this last week, but I want to just read a, a portion of it because it's so clear as Jesus prays to his Father um, who has governed this decision that Jesus is about to make in, in choosing his twelve. And John 17, verse 6 Jesus, in prayer to his Father, says that I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now, now Jesus says, they know that everything you have given me is from you. 
For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me, and I am praying for them. And I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And we see this clearly uh, in, in the life of Christ, that the apostles were given to him by the Father. And so I believe Jesus, in spending the entire night in prayer, um, is receiving that confirmation, that instruction from his Father as to who he is to name um, as his twelve apostles. So Jesus is not even here um, primarily taking the initiative. He is receiving from the Father and then acting in obedience to what the Father has instructed him. And Jesus acknowledged at the end of his ministry that even the words that he is speaking to the disciples were the words that the Father had given him to speak. It is this amazing communion of the Son and the Father empowered by the Spirit in the life of Jesus. And so this, this selection that Jesus makes is uh, flowing out of his communion with his Father. And I was thinking about uh, an example that, that might help in understanding the picture of what's going on. Um, in our culture, generally... If a young man uh, finds a girl that he's interested in, um, then one of the things that needs to be done is, is he will bring the young woman home to present to his mom and his dad. And it can be a very terrifying moment in a, in a young couple's life because, you know, this is pretty, pretty crucial that the mom and dad approve, that they, they, uh, they are supportive of the decision. And you've probably all heard stories of when, when, when uh, you know, a son brings a girl home and mom and dad are horrified at, at his selection and they wonder what, what has gone wrong in the bringing up of this child, you know. And, and uh, I won't, you know, give any specifics because that might get me in trouble. But, um, but we, you know, we could relate to that kind of picture of, of marriage that the son chooses and then brings to present to the father. Of course, in our time, uh, even, you know, there's shows even made about where the, it, now the woman chooses the man. And, and so there's completely the, the opposite picture. Um, but that's not at all the biblical picture. It's not that the son picks and brings her home to the father. It's not that the bride chooses the son, the, the, the bridegroom, and then they come to the father. Rather, the picture is the father chooses the bride, presents her to the son, and the son rejoices in what his father has given. That is the biblical picture of, uh, of the church in relationship to Christ, and specifically here of the apostles. They are an expression of the Father's love to the Son. And, and it is the Father's giving these twelve to Christ um, that we see is the example. And, and it, is, it's a, it really is a beautiful picture. In fact, even as we think about beyond the apostles to, to the church, to, to all Christians, um, when I began to understand this about the church, it, it gave me a great love for the people of God. I think we all have experienced times in our life when we've been hurt by the people of God, maybe disappointed, maybe we've, we've gone through something where we feel like, you know what, I'm just, I'm finished with this, I don't want anything to do with it, um, I've, I've been too hurt, I've been too frustrated, I, I see too little progress, and there's this temptation to, uh, to just withdraw. But when I began to understand that the church 
is the Father's gift of love to His Son, then it is not ultimately about us, is it? It is, it is rather, as we seek to glorify God, as we seek to honor God with our lives, then we are caught up in this beautiful expression of love from the Father to the Son. And as you love the church, as you serve the church, as, as you give and support, uh, you are honoring the Father and the Son. And so it, it, is, it is a tremendous encouragement to see how the Father gives to the Son and especially here of the twelve apostles. Jesus would tell his disciples in John 15, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. And the, the apostles understood this. Jesus selected them according to his own plan. And Jesus says, I chose you so that you would bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. And we see that is exactly what happened as the story unfolds. And so there's also a great comfort for us as we look at the plan of God unfolding that he is a God who is perfectly fulfilling his plan step by step. As strange as it might look to us at the time, as we look back now over 2,000 years of church history and, and uh, to see how the, the gospel message has penetrated to every, every corner of the earth, there are, there, are, there are still people groups who have not heard the gospel and, and even those numbers are, are decreasing. And in, in every uh, nation of the world, there are Christians, there are people who profess the name of Jesus Christ. And so you must acknowledge, even if you don't believe in God, even the atheist would acknowledge that Christianity has been amazingly successful. The Bible is still the most published book in the world. It is the most distributed book in the world. Jesus Christ was an amazingly effective in his plan. It was not a plan that failed. And that's a comfort to us because we can have confidence that as we look to the Lord that he is going to finish this. He is going to Bring us into that great city. We are going to be glorified. We are going to finish this commission by His strength. And it's a tremendous comfort for us that our God is in control and that His plan is unfolding perfectly. And we see that here as we see these beginning stages of the church being established in the new covenant and Christ very intentionally choosing His twelve. Um, it's also an example for us, I think, um, as we look at Christ and the way that he approached these kinds of decisions, that he was fervent in prayer. And I think for us, a lot of times we, we approach big decisions and we, we kind of talk to everyone and we collect all the information we can and we, we try to investigate, you know, we, we Google it and we watch reviews and all this stuff. But how much time do we give to God in prayer? How much are we bathing our decisions in prayer to God that He would be guiding us, that even as James said, that let him who seeks wisdom ask God and He will give it. Are we asking God? Are we following this example of Christ? And as we move through life, we are seeking the Lord in prayer. Even for... Uh, I think especially as a, a, a young person where you're, you're struggling to know... Um, 
what am I supposed to do? What, what, what is I, my career choice? Where, where should I go for further education? Should I take further education? And, and all these questions that, that we can struggle with. And, and I don't want to make those decisions the main thing. It is, again, the seeking the communion with the Father, the seeking God. Uh, and as the psalmist said in Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I don't think that means that whatever we want, we're going to get it. Rather means when you are delighting in the Lord, that your very desires will be placed with in your heart by him. And so your desires begin to shift to align with him. And no doubt for Christ, uh, that would have very much been the case. It wasn't as though he was acting contrary to what he wanted to do, but rather his desire and his, and his entire being was to please the Father and to walk in obedience to him. So that's the first observation, that the selection of the twelve flows out of the communion with the Father. Um, secondly, then, is that Jesus makes a distinction between apostles and dis- disciples here. And I... Uh, I think I, I had kind of grouped the two together in my mind oftentimes, but clearly that's what's happening here. This isn't uh, just Jesus choosing 12 men that get to learn from him and be a disciple. This is specifically the office of apostle. And, that's, and Luke makes that very clear as Jesus is, is on the mountain praying and he's, he comes down from the mountain. It's almost this this uh, picture of like, almost like Moses as he goes up into the mountain to meet with God and as he comes down from the mountain, he is holding the law and he's, he has the instructions for the tabernacle as, as, they're about to, as the nation of Israel is being brought into being and Moses stands as the head and he's coming down from the mountain. So Christ, having met with his father, is coming down from the mountain and he is about to establish the spiritual Israel. He stands as the greater Moses, the new high priest, and he himself being the temple who will be destroyed for his people, Jesus is going to choose now the pillar stones of his church, these 12 men, and they are referred to here as apostles. There is a distinction made. Um, look what he says. He's coming down from the mountain, and he, he calls his disciples. So this is probably a very large group, could be hundreds at times we see that there are thousands, and, and sometimes Jesus will, will actually drive some away through a very stern message like in John 6. So this is not just the 12, I don't believe. This is a, a large group of people who have been following Christ, who are learning from him. And from this group, Jesus is going to appoint 12 men. And he is going to appoint them as apostles. And so you see this distinction. There are two different words um, even in the original language. And the word disciple is one, uh, is, is, a, is a learner, is a follower. A disciple is specifically in reference to the teaching, that they would take on the teaching. They would walk in the teaching of their uh, discipler, and they would walk in obedience to that teaching. And that is very much at the heart of what it is to be a disciple. Um, but the apostle the, the word for apostle in the original means sent one or messenger. And so the, the, there's a specific meaning here in mind that these 12 are the sent ones of Christ. They are the messengers of Christ in a unique way. And this is very important that we understand this, the, the unique role of these 12 apostles and this office that Jesus established 
um, for these men. The Great Commission is not to go and make apostles. The Great Commission is to go and make disciples. And the two are different. And, and, and we need to keep a distinction there um, because even today there are groups that will try to claim that there are still apostles today and that they carry the same apostolic authority and the same apostolic gifting. But there is a distinction. And in Jesus appointing these men, um, then I would say with these men dying, this office closes. Now, of course, we could think of the... Um, there's a bit of an a, uh, interesting dynamic in here because we know that Judas was one of those 12 who betrays Christ. But even with Judas, that was not an accident. That was not Jesus somehow you know, missing some things on his resume. That was the Father appointing Judas, Judas to Christ for the reason of his betrayal and then his sacrifice. And we find that um, in, in Acts and even in John 6, Jesus acknowledges that one of his 12 is a devil. He was fully aware of what Judas was going to do. So later we find Paul the apostle is appointed by Christ. And so he's somewhat of a, an exception to this. Um, he's not appointed here, but later he is acknowledged as an apostle. So, flip just for a moment to uh, 1 Corinthians 3, because Paul helps us understand why is this distinction important. Um, it does open up to, to potentially a, a big discussion, but I think we can, we can get a, a good grasp of it in just a few moments. So 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10, and this is Paul talking, and um, he is talking about their role in, he's talking about the apostles' role in the establishing of this building, which is the church. And he says in verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has been Sorry, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple." And so Paul uses this illustration of a building which is helpful to us. And he is saying that he, as an apostle, and with the other apostles, you could say, are laying the foundation. And Christ Jesus is the foundation. And so as they proclaim the message of Christ and give the word of Christ, they have, they have laid the foundation. And once that is in place, that, that apostolic foundation has been established, 
then we begin to build on top. And, and, and so I believe that once the apostles finished and the Word of God was complete in the Scripture, we, we have the completed Scriptures here, we have then the apostolic foundation, and we are now called to build upon it through the message of the Gospel, advancing the kingdom. And so these apostles had a unique role to lay down this foundation. And with this came the, the addition of Scripture. Um, they were able to pen authoritatively the Word of God. And that could not be said of me. If someone comes to you and claims that they are giving you fresh revelation from God in this apostolic way, then you need to... Flee away from them because they are undermining the foundation that these apostles have laid. This is what Christ is establishing. The the men who would lay down the foundation for his church. And so there is this unique uh, office of apostle. Now, before we move on, we could say that you know somebody who is maybe planting churches or maybe we send somebody uh, to another part of the world to do missions and we could say that they are our apostle in that they are our sent one. They are our messenger. We are sending them out. In that sense, yes, maybe a small a apostle or something. Generally, I just don't like to use the word apostle with um, people in ministry today, but I could see there being a case in that simple meaning of the word. So there's a distinction between the disciple and the apostle, And this distinction is important for us to understand because we are still under the apostolic authority of these 12. How are we under their authority? Through the Scripture. We are still reading the letters of Paul. We are still reading the letters of Peter. We're still reading the instructions, these doctrines that the apostles laid down for us. And we are to submit ourselves to them. You are not here to submit to me nor to the elders. You are here to submit yourself to the apostolic authority and the goal of of myself and the elders is to lead us in that, in that instruction, in the doctrines, in uh, in the words that the apostles have given us. But if at any time one of you hear something or see something that you say is contrary to this apostolic tradition, then you have a responsibility to come to us and say, listen, I don't think that's right. I think you're missing it. I think that's, that's against what Paul is saying here, and you show us. And, and then we are to submit ourselves again to this apostolic word from these 12. So you see why this is important, that, that this Um, office be established by Christ and that he decisively make a distinction between the disciples at large and these specific 12 who are called apostles. And then our last observation then is how contrary his selection is to the thinking of man. How completely backwards the selection that Jesus makes would be to, to any other organization, any other institution, any other uh, group looking to, to be successful would have not gone about this the way Jesus Christ did and ultimately God. These men 
are painfully ordinary men. And even on the lower class, I mean, I identify very much with, with the trades. I mean, that's, I, I don't have the intellect to, to get myself through medical, medical school or, you know, to, to be a, a professor. You know, I just, I don't think that the Lord has, I mean, I, I suppose maybe I'm just lazy or was lazy in school. I, maybe I could just, uh, you know, say that. But I identify with men who, who just like to work with their hands and women and, and, and just a, a rather simple life, you know. And, and yet as you look at, at Christ and what he's trying to, to, what he's planning to build, you would think, okay, he needs the scholar. He needs the, the one who's, you know, got a lot of influence. And he needs the one who, who has uh, a lot of authority among the other religious peoples. And yet none of his selection are from that group. Again, we could point to Paul, who, you know, was educated and, and um, very intelligent in many ways. But, but when you look at these men that Christ chose, it is amazing. These are fishermen. Just a little bit before, in, in uh, chapter 5, verse 27, we saw him call Levi, who is Matthew, a tax collector, a despised crook in society. And this is one of the Corners, the, the foundation stones that, that Jesus is, is going to choose. Um, it really is profound when you step back and look at these men, and, and they, could, they could have just as well been, uh, you know, a group from, from, from northern Alberta that, that grew up on, on farms and, 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 and didn't know a lot, you know, maybe all the, the Hebrew and all of this stuff. That these were just men who had made their way through fishing, and uh, some of them who were scoundrels, some of them who, who were, were not even given a second thought by the religious leaders of that day. And yet Christ says, upon you, I'm going to build my church. And that is tremendously comforting to us. I would say that, um, of course, we know that the, the whole point is that the wisdom and the power of God be displayed in these men. Um, and that Peter, prior to Pentecost, would be fearful, he would be doubting, he would even deny his faith to a young girl. But after Pentecost, after the empowering of God, after the Spirit of God comes upon him, he would boldly proclaim the gospel to all of Jerusalem. He would, he would defy the religious leaders of his day to his face. He would, he would rather be beaten to the, to the brink of death than to deny his Lord. And so we see that Jesus is in many ways choosing those who are weak so that his power might be displayed through them. And so that people would know that the, the church of Jesus Christ is not the creation of man. It is the work of God Almighty. And again, pointing to Paul here for a moment, um, 1 Corinthians 1, Paul expands on this very idea in talking to the church at Corinth about the ways of God and the way in which he works uh, and how contrary it is to to the thinking of man. He says in chapter 1, verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning 
I will thwart. Where is the wise one? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God. Now listen, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And Paul would go on in verse 26, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I think that is at the very heart of what Jesus is doing here. He knows these men are not qualified. He knows their weakness. He knows that they are ordinary. And it is for that reason that he chooses these men because through them, he is going to bring nations to their knees. They are going to stand before emperors and kings and rulers and proclaim the glory of God to them. And they will be the ones who are made foolish before fishermen, before tax collectors. And the power of God will be displayed it is as we read in, in Zechariah, the word of the Lord that came to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And even church history affirms this. You read church history and oftentimes what you find it is those who admit their own weaknesses, know their own shortcomings. They, they, they are not often the highly educated, but rather they understand their need. They understand their brokenness before a holy God, and they cry out to him for mercy and for strength, and God, uh, in his power, works mightily through them. It is the way of God, and it is so clearly seen here in the choosing of his twelve. I think one of my favorite reactions to the apostles is in Acts 4. Um, Christ has ascended. These 12 have been filled with the Spirit along with those, the others that were uh, gathered there and, and all Christians who were calling on the name of the Lord were being filled with the Spirit and there was great boldness and, and uh, great power being displayed through them. And uh, in Acts 4.11, you could imagine the as my father-in-law would say, the bigwigs uh, were standing back and scratching their heads at these guys. And listen to what they say in Acts 4.13. Um, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. They're looking at these guys and saying, Okay, these guys are preaching with power and conviction and they're understanding Old Testament uh, passages that we don't understand. And, and yet they're fishermen, they're uneducated, they're common. But listen to what they, say, what, what they say. It says, And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. 
And I think if there's anything that could be said about our lives, if that was it, then you have far exceeded the most successful CEO, the most successful entrepreneur, you know, all the guys who survive Dragon's Den or whatever and, you know, get the big millions of dollars to back their plans. You are far more successful in this life if it could just be said of you that it was recognized that you had been with Jesus. Because as we identify with Christ, our weakness becomes our strength. Our brokenness becomes the means to which we cry out to God. Our struggles become the, 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 the reason for our dependence upon grace. And, and we understand that as God moves, it's not us, it is Him. And He gets the glory. And oh, this is so beautiful. As you read through the book of Acts, and you see what, I mean, we call it the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, maybe a better title would be the Acts of God through the Apostles. But it is just amazing to see how Christ uses these men. And so I leave you with, um, first to you who are not a Christian here today, who have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you cannot say that I just don't know enough, I'm not educated enough, I'm not good enough, because Jesus Christ is the one who qualifies us. He is looking for those who understand their weakness, who understand that they're just ordinary, that they're not special, that they're not superhuman, they're just ordinary. That, that should drive you to Christ. And I encourage you, if you feel in yourself that I'm very ordinary, I'm very simple-minded, I, I don't have a great understanding of, of difficult doctrines, come to Christ, receive Him. Allow his power to be displayed through you. Be baptized and find the joy of knowing Christ this morning. And for you who are a Christian, let us be careful that we do not pride ourselves in our knowledge about the Lord, but rather that we know the Lord and that we have experienced his grace. Walk humbly before God, knowing that you are saved by his grace. And we sang this morning that that in his death we live. And when you understand that, you can look at the, 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 the person who is maybe the, the homeless person or the person who's struggling to, to manage their home or the, the, the person who's addicted to something. You don't have to look down your nose at them because you understand I was foolish, I was weak, I was ordinary, and yet God had mercy upon me and I can extend that same mercy to them. Our God loves to use the ordinary and the common for his own glory. And so we will um, leave that there. We see Christ chooses 12 out of communion with his Father. We see the distinction in the apostles and the disciples, and we see that Jesus' ways are contrary to the ways of man, that he chooses what is ordinary and what is plain. And so that is a great comfort to us. Let us pray and we will have a closing song. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you have revealed yourself to us, Lord, because we know that apart from you, we would never fathom a God like you, who is infinite in glory and power, infinite in wisdom, and yet delights in using the weak and the lowly, the ordinary and the common. God, that, that you would display your power through us, we ask. Lord, as a church, Lord, we know that we have 
weaknesses. We have needs. We have things that we, we can do better. And Lord, we, we are looking to you for strength and wisdom, God, that you would display your power through us. And in our homes, Father, that they too would, Lord, just be pictures of a God who redeems and delivers and enables. God, help us to lead our children and to love one another. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in today to the sermon uh, preached at Fairview Cornerstone Baptist Church. And again, if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at church at fairviewcornerstone.com. God bless. God bless.